0: You ever get anything delightfully unexpected at Christmas? My dad was really good at this. My parents, in fact, are a very good combination of detail-oriented in my mother and completely impulsive and spontaneous in my father. He's crazy. He'll come home and he'll have bought something outrageous for no reason other than it struck him in the moment that this would be a good thing to do. And my sweet and brilliant mother then takes that spontaneity and organizes it. She's amazing, and so is he. My dad loves Christmas, and so does my mom. My dad loves Christmas because my dad loves surprises, and I inherited my love of surprises from him. If you ever want to give me a surprise, you're going to make my day, so feel free. My dad would always tuck an unexpectedly awesome gift in the bottom of our Christmas stockings. In my family, I know some families open their stockings first. In my family, we open our stockings last. And so we do all the crisp. When I was growing up, Jordan's like, what? We do the stockings first now. That's because of your mother. And we do her family's tradition now. But when we used to do it the right way, in my birth family, she's not here right now. I'll use a different joke in second service. Growing up, we would do the presents first and then the stockings last. And so my dad would always hide something awesome in the stockings. So it's literally the end, and then all of a sudden it's not the end. And so for us boys, it was usually a really cool knife or an awesome watch. Yeah, my dad's like that. He bought us 100 feet of climbing rope for my 12th birthday. We lived in Jerusalem. He said, just go climb stuff. I said, we can do that. Every knife I ever owned came from my father on Christmas. I owned like, I don't even know how many watches growing up because my dad's crazy for watches. Once a year, he like moves his watches downstream from him to us. He's crazy. For the girls and for my mom, it's usually a beautiful piece of jewelry. And with my mom, he went crazy. Like he would, like. One Christmas, there was a gorgeous emerald diamond ring in the bottom of her stocking. Just crazy. So my mom turned the tables on him one year when in his stocking at the end, there was a little note that said, quick, look outside. And because she's detail-oriented, she had organized our Christmas morning to terminate a specific time a time at which our neighbors knew that they were to open their garage and roll out the brand new motorcycle that she had purchased for my father for that Christmas. And when he got the note that said, quick look outside, he went and opened the blinds, which of course she'd shut, and there was his brand new motorcycle rolling across the street into our driveway. She wins. <laughs> Everybody cries uncle. Something unexpectedly awesome For Christmas, Mary got something quite unexpected. You know what Mary got? Mary got Christmas. Take a look at Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Ooh, receive it. He'll be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne. Yes, Pastor Todd gets to preach about a throne today of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. In her decrepitude, says the Greek. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Ooh, And the angel departed from her. This is a great passage. I got so excited about the Advent story that I wrote the wrong sermon this week. I got so excited about preaching the Advent to you that I wrote the Magnificat on Friday by accident. And then thank God I came to church on Friday night for Kids Night Out where we had 21 kids and a bunch of very happy parents who left them with us for free babysitting for two and a half hours. Lord help me. But you see, God is my friend. He knows that the prospect of spending two and a half hours with a bunch of ankle biters is not exactly my best day. And so he made me forget to write the right sermon so that I would show up on Friday, look at Leah's incredible bulletin board, and realize that I'd written the Magnificat, which is next week, and today is the Annunciation. So I got to sit in the boardroom and work on my sermon on Friday night. (laughs) So I wrote this one for you yesterday, which has never happened to me in 22 years, of 24 years of preaching full-time. She got Christmas. This is powerful. Look what happens when heaven touches earth. Verse 26. Angel shows up. Okay, That's heaven touching earth. Now skip down to verse 28. Look at the first words he says to her. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. I want to remind you this morning. I want to remind you this Christmas that heaven is in a good mood. Rejoice. And I sat and I thought about this for a minute. And in fact, I thought back about Every angelic visitation that came to mind. Because I was trying to figure out if I had something to preach or not. Because I don't want to preach just something, you know, because I'm in a mood or because I think you have a need. I want to preach because it's biblical. And so I thought about angelic visitations. The first one that came to mind was when the angel shows up. It's the angel of the Lord. Many theologians think it's Christ himself, pre-incarnate. In the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're a Christian, you'll know the story. If you're not a Christian, the story is there were some faithful Jews living in exile. They had risen high in the service of king of the king, but they would not worship the gods of the king. They worshiped the God of the Bible, the God of their fathers. And eventually, things politically got to a point where some other advisors of the king said to him that you should really forbid any worship except the worship of you, O great king, because if you really are as good as God, then we should be worshiping you, not other gods. And he thought this was a pretty good idea. And so he passed a law that everyone had to worship him and his statue on pain of death. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, faithful Jews that they were, refused to do this thing, which got them thrown into a fiery furnace, which was heated to the point that some of the guards who walked them up to the fiery furnace died even before they could get them to the mouth of it. And they throw them into the fiery furnace, and they land in the bottom, and there's an angel there. And the angel's in a very good mood. How do we know this? Because they did not burn up. The angel's like, You're not going to die today. That's good news. All right, that angel's in a good mood. I thought about the angel that showed up to Abraham. I'm going to preach about this in the spring. Three of them show up, and they want him to make them lunch, which is good. I've never seen anybody grumpy while eating. Right? They're eating food, they're happy, and they're here to tell them that that promise God made him about a son that hasn't come true yet, it's going to come true. They are bringing good news, glad tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. Oh, wait a second. I'm jumping forward to the angelic visitation that accompanied the birth of Christ. Heaven is in a good mood. I want to remind you this morning that you're a citizen of heaven. If heaven's in a good mood, you should be in a good mood too. Now, I need to repent because yesterday I was grumpy. Why was I grumpy yesterday? Because we had to get a Christmas tree. I don't know if you can relate, but this always makes me upset. I just don't like it. And I don't like it because my wife bothers me about it for like weeks leading up to it. It's like, we to go get the tree? And she bothers me because she knows I don't want to go get the tree, which is kind of weird because, you know, at the end of the day, a Christmas tree is pretty nice. The reason I don't want to go get the tree is because I'm a son of Adam. Therefore, I'm born in sin, which means left to my own devices, I'm lazy. So going to get a tree, tying it to the roof of the van, bringing it home. You know, you got to cut it off and then you got to put the thing on it. It's terrible. And my children always want the biggest tree imaginable. And I just want like a tree so small it doesn't exist. So I was grumpy yesterday, but I caught myself because I remembered that heaven's in a good mood. And so I caught myself before I ruined my family's Christmas. Amen. Okay, that's what I'm talking about here. Okay, This is not to say that you will never get grumpy, never get angry, never get down, never get depressed. God knows there are hereditary reasons that underlie depression for some of us. Okay, There are chemical reasons. There's all kinds of reasons. There are reasons of suffering and loss and pain that are very real. So I'm not saying that any of us should never feel angry or grumpy or down or depressed. But because of Jesus, when we find ourselves feeling that way, hallelujah, we now have the opportunity to catch ourselves. This is different from people who don't have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you're just stuck in whatever it is that you're feeling. Maybe once in a while you can, I don't know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps because it serves your self-interest in some way. But as for me, I need help. I need help. And in Jesus, we have been given help. Next time you find yourself depressed, remind yourself where you're from. I'm from from heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. The scriptures literally says that you're seated in heaven in Christ right now. You're from heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. And remind yourself of the mood that they're in there as they gather around the throne of God and of the Lamb and worship Him together with the host forever. It's a pretty happy place. In fact, Revelation tells us that there's what? No sorrow. No crying. No sickness. No death in that place, which seems to me to indicate that there's not very many sad people in glory. Amen? Look, remember where you're from, and remember the mood that they are in. That's going to help you deal with the unexpected, remembering and then refinding happiness. Maybe you need to go out this Christmas and refind happiness. Maybe you need to do it moment by moment if you're really in a tough spot. And I want to tell you it's possible. Even the sweet smell of coffee with eggnog in it can remind you that God is good. But ultimately, you have a much better reason to be happy than sweet smelling coffee. You are happy because you have been shown grace, just like Mary has. Look at verse 28 Rejoice, highly favored one. What this means in the Greek? Rejoice, O oh one, having been graced. I feel like the Bible is hijacking us as Grace Community Church recently with all the many references to grace that are just showing up in our preaching and teaching. And I don't design it to be this way. It's just there. It's like this constant reminder of who we are and what we're supposed to do and the message we have to share with the world. Why are we happy? Because ultimately, like Mary, hear it, we have been graced. Okay, Mary's son, who was God the Son, grew up as a man perfectly fulfilling the law of God the Father. means he never sinned. Okay, he always perfectly fulfilled God's holy will. You know the story, if you've spent any time in this church, or in any faithful church at all, you know that this God the Son, this Jesus Christ, this God-man, this Word of God made flesh, In the fullness of time, according to the scriptures, was hung on a cross and suffered and died between two thieves in your place, in my place for our sins. In that moment, on that cross, all of your badness went to Jesus. And in the great exchange, all of his goodness came to you. You've been given grace. In the words of this messenger to Mary, you've been graced. It's so powerful. You've been graced. It's like... You got nothing to do with it. Poof, you've been graced. Isn't that liberating? You got to work yourself up. You don't got to achieve this. Rejoice, highly favored one. You have been graced. The point is that none of this goodness has anything to do with you. Look at what the angel says to Mary, continuing in verse 28. The Lord is with you. It's my great privilege and pleasure every Christmas season to remind you what all the fuss is about. All the fuss is about Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Imanu in the Hebrew, with us, El, God. With us, God. Imanu, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. This is what all the fuss is about. God with us us. I want to remind you this Christmas that it's not you who stand out but God in you who stands out. Okay? Remember that this week. It's not you who stand out. There's no pressure on you to stand out. But it is God in you who stands out. It's God with you that all the fuss is about. God with us. This is Christmas. And I acknowledge that depending on the state you find yourself in, you may find this extremely hard to believe. How is it that God could be with us? I want to remind you this morning that if you have a hard time believing this, so did Mary. Look at verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Put Literally, she's kind of freaked out because considered in the original language meant that she began casting in her mind. Usually, this happens to us at three in the morning. You ever found yourself casting in your mind? You're at your wits' end. You don't know what to do. And so your mind starts spinning and spinning and spinning as you do everything you can consciously to find a solution. You ever found yourself there? Somebody nod at me. You ever been there? You're like, I don't know what to do. And instead of laying at the feet of Jesus, and look, I'm guilty of the same, you begin casting in your mind. You begin considering things. You're trying to find a solution. You're trying to figure it out. This happens to almost all of us when we brush up against the divine life. You ever experienced this? Heaven touches earth and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Slow down for a minute. I got to think this through. Has God ever spoken to you, told you to do something? You ever gotten a sense like, I have to do this thing? And then have you ever immediately had doubt enter your mind like, wait a second, don't be hasty. More often than not, that's the voice of the devil. That's not the voice of Jesus. Hang, hang on. That, that would be crazy if you did that. What are people going to think about you? As soon as the voice in your head starts playing to your ego, you definitely know it's the devil. The second the voice in your head starts you know, suggesting you should be worried about your reputation, you know that's not Jesus talking because Jesus is only concerned about one reputation, and that's his You're like, that's very egotistical of him. Yes, I know, he's God. He's entitled. Right? (laughs) We make no apologies for God being jealous for his glory. So we find ourselves like, "Uh, i got to manage this. If you ever felt like that was you, you're in good company, because Mary felt the same way. She was casting in her mind to try and figure out what this all might mean. And hopefully the angel's words to Mary will work for you too. Read along with me as we consider verses 30 through 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay, so most of that was for her. But we get to preach about the Annunciation in the past tense. And we know that the baby was gestated within her, and we know that he was born into the world, and we know that the angels did celebrate his coming, and we know that he did grow up as a tender shoot before him, perfectly fulfilling God's holy law. We do know that he arose as our great God, King, and Savior after being crucified on Calvary's tree. We know that in those great events, he has adopted us, the Gentiles, into his family. We know, therefore, that we belong to him. We know that someday we're going to go and live with him forever, unless he beats us to it and returns first. So I guess we could say that this wasn't just for Mary, friend. I guess we could say that this was for you. (laughs) That'll preach. Then the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. God, I love the Bible. You could preach a whole sermon on that one sentence. Do not be afraid. Do, we could preach about the things that we do. Not, we could preach about the imperative negative. Anyway, I don't want to get into that right now. B, we could talk about the essential nature of being that all of us struggle with. And then we could focus on the word afraid. And we could preach a whole sermon about the fact that perfect love casts out fear. Woo! Man, we'll do that someday. But for now, just let me highlight that he says two key things to her. Do not be afraid. And then he names her Mary. Right? And from Mary's perspective, she wouldn't have known that the angelic messenger knew her name at all. Right? The writer says that the angel went to a maid named Mary, but Mary didn't know that he knew her name until he called her by name. Let's go. Y'all feel me? Do not be afraid. Mary. Woo-hoo. Heaven knows her name. Heaven knows she's afraid without her even saying a word. And heaven tells her there's nothing to fear. Hallelujah. Heaven knows you by name. Heaven knows exactly what you're feeling without you having to say a word. And heaven's got the answer. This is another beautiful Christmas gift. You don't need to be afraid because everything's going to be okay. Receive it. Like, put a bow on that one and carry it around with you all week. You don't need to be afraid because everything's going to be okay. Okay, Todd, well, how is everything going to be okay? Because this son that Mary's going to have is not just going to be angelically announced and be named Jesus. Up to that point in the narrative, this is really no big deal. I mean, it's kind of nice that an angel's showing up to say, yo, you're going to have a boy. She's like, cool. I want you to name him Jesus. This is a very common Jewish name in that age of the world, Yeshua. Very common name. So, so far it's no big deal. She's like, all right, I'm going to have a son eventually when I sleep with my husband Joseph, who's not my husband yet. I'm just betrothed to him. But this means that someday we're going to be able to have babies, which in that culture was of high value. And in fact, our firstborn is going to be a son, which is the best case scenario in a Jewish family. So to this point, it's really no big deal. It's not mind blowing yet. Until we get to 32 to 33. Check this out, church. He will be great. Ooh. Ooh, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Ooh, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Church, let me tell you about this Jesus. Verse thirty-two. He will be great. You know what the Greek word is here? Mega. Mega, And even we English-speaking Anglo-Saxons, you know, by and large, there are some of us like Brian Bitten, who I found out is a Moroccan Jew. I'm like, we've been grafted into his family. We should be nicer to him. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Right? We are part of God's family. Megas. Okay, mega. This is like, he's the greatest thing there ever was. He will be Mega. OK, even we know that that's a pretty big deal. This means mega Jesus. Right. This is not just like, you know, friendly, quiet, soft spoken Jesus. <laughs> this mega Jesus, this the greatest, this the best. I spent all of Hebrews shouting about this. So I'll give you a break today and just finish that point right there. Mega Jesus. Try him on for size. Whoa, ha! I love it. He will also be called son of the highest. Literally in the Greek, he will be called God the Son. Let me tell you who God the Son is. Y'all know who God the Son is? He happens to be the second member of the Trinity. God from God, light from light, very God from very God, without beginning, in fact, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, by whom and through whom and for whom and for whom and in whom all things were made. This is the Jesus we're talking about here. That's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. Yes, he was born in a manger. Yes, he grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Yes, he hung out with blue-collar fishermen who were one bad catch away from poverty, and he had nowhere to lay his head. He was the ultimate couch surfer. All right? If you're a young adult who's living as a couch surfer, you're biblical. Okay? Even your mega Jesus didn't have a house. Your parents are like, stop preaching, Todd. Stop it. He lived in like the back room of Peter's house in Capernaum, didn't have his own house. Right? Marginalized, yes. Nowhere to lay his head. Despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who died on a cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb. But let me tell you, church, he only borrowed the tomb because he wasn't planning on staying for more than three days because he had a throne to get back to. I mean, somebody shout, you know what I'm saying? He borrowed the tomb because he... He's not staying for long. I met Polly at a funeral yesterday. Ooh, black grandmother, my favorite person on earth. I sat down, she's like, I know you, brother. I was like, yeah, you do. She's like, no, no, I know you for real, though. You're Todd Cannell. And I said, yes, I am. God bless you, my brother. You're going to preach the gospel tomorrow. I said, I'm going to talk about you, Polly, because she proceeded to spend the next seven minutes leading up to the beginning of the funeral, extolling the virtues and the glories of Christ. And I was like, you have me a hello. I'm going to talk about you tomorrow. You know what Polly does with her life? She's in palliative care. She's a palliative care nurse. She deals with people who are dying all the time. You know what she does? Oh, she preaches the gospel to these people. And she says to me, I don't care, but uh, they're going to fire me. They're going to fire me. But the people are going to hear about Jesus. Oh, I said, I said, come to my church, Polly. I'll give you the pulpit. Let's go. Hey, he was buried in a borrowed tomb because he didn't have to stay for long. Because he had a throne to get back to. The throne of his father, David, to be exact. Mm -hmm. A throne that he'll reign from over the house of Jacob. That's the Bittens family again that we've been grafted into as Gentiles. He's going to rule over that house, not for two weeks, not for two millennia, forever. Come on now. Come on now. He's going to reign over a house that you're a member of Forever. That's how it grew.